Best of Times Radio Hour, live on 1017 FM and 710 Keel, a show dedicated to seniors and boomers in Northwest Louisiana. Here's your host, Gary Coligas. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm Gary Coligas, the publisher of The Best of Times, the only magazine and radio show for mature adults in Northwest Louisiana for the past 22 years. Thank you for tuning in to our show today and also thanking those who might be listening live via the Internet at www.710keel.com. Also thanking those who might be listening via the Keel application on their Apple or Android devices. We do thank AARP Louisiana and A-Bears, Tenant Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer for being the exclusive sponsors of this radio show to provide you with beneficial information each and every Saturday morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn some interesting information about the new CEO of Ostner LSU Health here in Shreveport and his plans for the future of healthcare delivery in Northwest Louisiana. So stay tuned to this show for some very interesting and beneficial information for you and your loved ones. It is Saturday, January the 13th, and we're broadcasting our show from the studios of News Radio 710 Keel, a town square media station here in wonderful Shreveport, Louisiana. However, today's show has been pre-recorded, so we will be unable to accept call-in questions and comments from our very loyal radio listeners. Be sure to pick up the January-February 2024 issue of The Best of Times at our 270 distribution locations throughout Shreveport and Bossier City area. We do thank you for the many compliments about our magazine. We do appreciate hearing from you. Remember, if you're unable to find a copy at one of our 270 distribution locations, you can always visit our popular website at www.thebestoftimesnews.com to view both current and past issues of our magazine. In addition, you can view the 2023 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. In addition, you can listen to previously broadcast shows here on the Best of Times Radio Hour. We do thank... Many persons throughout Northwest Louisiana have subscribed to our free TBT emailed newsletter by visiting our website at thebestoftimesnews.com. We are honored and humbled to have over 2,000 who have recently subscribed and received our free newsletter with additional information, articles that can assist you and your family members. Though we do print our glossy magazine, we've done it for the past 22 years at 20,000 copies per month. We now send out our TB2 newsletter via email, and we do thank you for the many, many thousands of compliments about this newsletter. So again, you can subscribe free by just going to our website and entering your email and say you want to receive it on on a monthly basis. In addition, we are working on the 22nd edition of our 2021 Silver Pages Senior Resource Directory. It is our most popular annual publication. It's the only resource guide for seniors and boomers and their family members in Northwest Louisiana. It contains over 4,000 listing of names, contact numbers, websites of businesses, organizations, and agencies, excuse me, throughout the entire area that can provide products, services, and of course, valuable information to seniors, boomers, and their family members. If your business, organization, or agency wishes to be included to be part of this very popular resource guide, do contact us before February the 2nd. The resource guide will be released on March the 1st of 2024. 
We'll be right back with more information, but now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and Ebert's Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Back to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM at 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AERP Louisiana and A Bears Tending Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm Gary Caligas, and I do thank you for listening to our show today. I'm honored to have as a special guest on my show today is Mr. Corwin Harper, who is the new Chief Executive Officer of Ostner LSU Health. Here in Shreveport. So welcome, Mr. Harper, to the Best of Times Radio Hour. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. And welcome to the Shreveport and Bossier area. We're thrilled and honored when people relocate here, come to our wonderful um, Twin Cities. And so I hope you've enjoyed your time here and learned a little bit about the Shreveport and Bossier City area. I have. And I just want to say I'm honored and humbled to be here today. Uh, as I learn about your great reputation, this is simply emblematic of all the great people who live here. Oh, and I'm looking you. forward to learning more and more about the community because I see the vibrant opportunity along the I-20 corridor in North Louisiana. Well, that's we have a lot of great people in the area, both men and women, that have uh, done a lot of things. We, you know, Little Shreveport and Bossier City area, I can go on and on and give you accolades about it that some people don't even know we exist here, but when they hear about some of the accomplishments, what we know is, oh, that's where it happened? That's, that's where it happened. So, again, I'm really proud. But, again, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, again, I'm, my name is Corwin Nathaniel Harper. Um, I'm the only child of Murtis and Nathaniel Harper. Um, I was born in the state of South Carolina several years ago, <laughs> and my parents were both educators, and that really set me on a trajectory to really value education. I actually used to sit in the classroom with them when they were getting their master's degree in Orangeburg, South Carolina, learning um, math at a very high level and understanding other complicated issues, which helped me in my professional career. They even um, they even took me to college when I was in the ninth grade, where I learned advanced reading and other, other skills, which wow. helped position me for the future. Because as an only child, my mother and father said, we're going to prepare you as if we're not going to be here. Because in life, you never know what will happen. Sure. Um, you can't predict things. But I appreciate the preparation of my mom and dad. They're both still living. They're 88 and 87. So now I have a great sensitivity to folks who are in their 80s. And I give a lot of care to my parents, and I support them in every way possible because they did so much for me. Well, that's a, that truly a great life story there. And, I mean, I'm an only child, too, and definitely uh, when you're an only child, you 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 hate to say this, you tend to depend a little bit on your on your parents, mm-hmm. and they guide you. You know, you gain from others, but, you know, you, you, they're not. Mine uh, lived to 96 and 88, so it, it's been a it's, you know, wonderful life. So, again, and I hear that you're a U.S. Army veteran. Wow. Yes, yes I am. Thank you for serving our country. Thank you. So let me go back a little bit further in my history. Um, because I always want to talk about my parents first, because there's a book I read every day, and a passage in the book talks about honoring thy mother and thy father all the days of their life, because your life will be long. And that's my goal, to have a long life where I'm serving and taking care of people. 
So when I, when I was growing up in high school, because uh, I graduated number three in my high school in Allendale, South Carolina, a very small rural community in South Carolina, that the guidance counselor, and I remember her name today, her name is Dwayne Barrett, she <laughs> said, um, you need to go to the Citadel. So then at the time, my primary care physician, Dr. Wilbur Tootin, was a Citadel graduate. Dr. Lucius Lafitte was also a Citadel graduate, and they both encouraged me and endorsed me to go to the Citadel because they wanted me to come back to my small community and replace them to be a doctor. Um, that didn't happen, but I still <laughs> went into healthcare. So I pursued a degree at the Citadel uh, in biology. I got a bachelor's of science degree in biology, graduated in four years, and I became a commissioned officer in the United States Army as a medical service corps officer, which is the administrative side of the Army Medical Department. So I did that for, for eight and a half years, and I had multiple assignments, but my life started out as a healthcare administrator in the military. My first um, training assignment was at Fort Sam Houston, Texas, where I got my military training, and then they sent me off to Korea in October of 1986, and I actually stayed there for one full year, probably one of the best experiences of my young adult life. It taught me a lot about, um, about how you really care for people, how do you plan health care, how do you go into austere environments and create a health care delivery system to take care of the active fighting force, that there was a lot of activity going on in Korea between 1986 and 1987. So after that, um, I actually came back to the United States after Korea, and I went to Fort Gordon, Georgia. And I was 22, 23 years old at the time, and I became my, had my first in-hospital administrative responsibility where I was the Department of Family Medicine Administrator for about 50 physicians. And it served a geography from Hilton Head, South Carolina, to Atlanta, Georgia. So we had uh, you know, veterans and we had family members we had to take care of. It was an academic medicine residency program. That's where I got my first taste of academic medicine. And I learned so much. And the chief of the department and I are still best friends. And he became deputy surgeon general of the Army Medical Department. And he and I still stay in contact because he's just a great guy. So then the Army said, you have promise. You have a bright future. So uh, we're going to send you to school. So they sent me to the U.S. Army Baylor program which is based in San Antonio, but it's connected to the Baylor University in Waco. So I got my master's degree from Baylor University in healthcare administration. And with that organization, I've been a preceptor for at least six years in the program. And I was actually recognized as being preceptor of the year in 2020-21 timeframe. So it's been, my Army career was fantastic. And my last assignment in the military was, um, base realignment and closure of healthcare facilities mm. because that's a very daunting task where you have to go into communities to let them know that we're going to be moving your healthcare resources and we set up different systems of care and no one, no one, I mean, no one lost anything in their care support. And I, had, my assignments were doing that with Fort Devens, Massachusetts. There was a hospital there, did a little work at Letterman Army Medical Center to close that hospital, but also did some work at Fort Benjamin Harrison. So, in my background, I have this broad planning of healthcare resources in different communities because that's what really got me started about thinking more externally. And I actually written a paper about how you could even do that in San Antonio, Texas, which <laughs> they implemented many of the things that I recommended. So I've been doing healthcare for over 37 years now, but it started with my military background and then as I got out of the military. Well, very impressive. Very impressive. I mean, you learn from those experiences, the ups and downs you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're touching feely, but 
when you're you're out there and you implement things, I take it that you're an innovator as well and think out the box as well, right? Absolutely. Well, that's that's important. Well, I I commend you on that. And uh, so then I, I noticed that you spent years with Kaiser Permanente. Yes, I did. I did. So before I talk about Kaiser, I have to Uh-oh. talk about the love of my life. Uh-oh. My wife, my well, bride, my best friend, and Dr. Terry A. Moore Harper. She is a has a doctorate of nursing practice from Duke University. She has 30-plus years of nursing experience from burn trauma to um, surgical ICU, and also she's a professor now at Turo University. And we met at Fort Gordon, Georgia. And as we met at Fort Gordon, Georgia, we set out a path of how we wanted to work together to think about health care, a nurse and a healthcare administrator working together as a couple oh, yeah. to support each other. So then in that decision-making, we ended up going to Kaiser Permanente. I w- went there as an executive, and she, she went with me, and she pursued a career in other areas in healthcare in the communities that we worked in. But because I wanted to go to Kaiser, because when I was getting my degree from Baylor, they, there was a lot in the literature about Kaiser Permanente and their model. Because right. their model comes out of, of a, it's a, more of a prepaid healthcare system um, and it came up at a time in the 40s where it was, wasn't a lot of choices and that the doctors there really, really, really wanted to provide care to the workers that were setting up the dams and the aquifers and everything else in California. So there's a whole story about Kaiser Permanente built around one of the greatest industrialists, Henry J. Kaiser, working with Dr. Sidney Garfield as one of the greatest physician innovators. So that innovative spirit in me was really enhanced after working at Kaiser Permanente. Because trying to figure out how do we provide care in advance of when people needed it through the lens of prevention and wellness. And at the time, Kaiser Permanente only cost five cents per member per month for health care. It's a lot more now. Oh, yeah. But just imagine what in those days what you could do with five cents per member per month to create a delivery system that was proactive to take care of people, balanced against being able to take care of some of the most complicated health care issues in the world. When I got to experience a little bit with them in my visits back in the 70s, I was super impressed with them, mm-hmm. very super impressed with them. So were you based in Atlanta, California, or Denver? or Oh, no, I was based in California the whole time. Oh, okay. And at first, um, I had no desire to go to California because the ground shook, and I didn't know anybody <laughs> out there. I didn't have any family or friends. But because of how my parents raised me, they said, you got to go places where nobody else wants to go. So I went there. My very first assignment was in Fresno, California, which is in the center of the state, the breadbasket of North America. And, you know, at the time, um, the agricultural industry was about $4 billion industry at that time, maybe a little bit more. And I learned so much from the farmers and the folks who lived in Fresno. So that's where I cut my teeth with Kaiser as a medical group administrator. So I had the administrative responsibility for about 300 physicians and advanced practitioners, and then I progressed through the ranks and became, got my first hospital CEO job there in Fresno. And then after that, um, we had a joint commission survey. And uh, <laughs> right at the end of the survey, my boss said, well, where do you want to go next? I said, I've only been here a few months. He said, no, where do you want to go next? And with that survey, I got a perfect joint commission score. Wow. And everybody was like, okay, you got to go someplace else. So I set a high bar for quality. And I've always set a high bar for quality. And I'm going to go in and look and find opportunities to make organizations better. I mean, that's one of my trademarks. So we did that in uh, Fresno. We also helped to raise our daughters, um, Morgan and Megan, who are now 33 and 29. And they are great young ladies who have done great things in their life, but we want to keep our family stable. And after a certain amount of time in Fresno, we then moved to Stockton, California. 
where I had the opportunity to build a $450 million medical complex from the ground up. Wow. One of my greatest achievements. It's a, it was a hospital plus a medical office building combined on 50 acres of land, and it was a greenfield. And we got a lot of criticism about where we put it and why we put it there. So I had a challenge. And I, at the time, it was a four-hospital market that I was the CEO of. Had to manage the different complexities of the different hospitals over about a 70 to 80-mile geography, which sounds familiar with North Louisiana. That's true. So, but you also had to learn how to partner with other health systems. And I have that effective skill in my toolkit that we all need to figure out how to work together because at the end of the day, we set the economics for so many communities, and we have an impact on how we, how we increase our effective cost of health care. So we have to think about that as a collective organization as we work with each other. So in that market, like I said, I did build a brand-new medical office building, open about five or six other clinics, and also created probably one of the most um, lucrative joint ventures that Kaiser Permanente has with a Catholic hospital um, named uh, at the time, it was called Dignity Health. Now it's Common Spirit Health. And we created a LLC and created a joint venture with the Kaiser Organization and the Common Spirit Organization. And it's called Port City Operating Company, LLC. And next to uh, getting married and my daughters is probably one of the greatest <laughs> achievements in my entire career. So um, I could actually retire from Kaiser because I did 25 years there. So before I retired, my wife and I began a process of assessing where did we want to go next. And so we put a dot in the center of Atlanta, Georgia, and went out 600 <laughs> miles. And so we said, what makes the most sense? Where do we want to go to, to, for the next phase of our life? But we had to be back in the southeast, and here's why. My mother-in-law, um, the late now, the late Mavis Moore, um, she was in her 80s, when we, early 80s when we got back here, and uh, we didn't know she had a second bout of cancer. So we wanted to be back close to my wife's mom, who was living in Tuskegee, Alabama. And I wanted to bring my parents back closer to South Carolina, where they were born and raised, because they ended up being in California with us. And we are family-oriented, both my wife and I. And we want to be close to our parents, my, my wife's siblings. So we accomplished that by moving to southern, southeastern Louisiana, near um, Covington. That's where uh, we first moved to. And Ostner was the organization that gave me the opportunity to be a regional CEO. Wow. So did that for a year. And then Mr. Pete November, the CEO of the system, said, why don't you come and be my chief growth officer? So I said, sure, why not? So I did that, and it gave me an opportunity to see the whole organization, the whole great state of Louisiana from an operational perspective and also parts of Mississippi to help figure out what is our growth strategy for the future. And then Pete said, all right, now why don't you go to North Louisiana? I said, sure, Pete, I go to North Louisiana. <laughs> and because I don't mind going to new places to meet new people, being a military guy, that's part of my DNA, my part of my orientation. So it's been a pleasure to be here. It's been um, interesting to learn about the market. But probably the thing that's most intriguing is the economic development potential. When you look at east-west corridors across the country, I-20 corridor is pretty prominent. And I think with um, the LSU Medical School, Oxnard LSU Health System, all the other health systems in the community, all the other businesses in the community, the economic development team, we have to come together to figure out how do we make this area strong again from an economic vitality and an economic development perspective. And I also have that in my kit bag because I served under both 
Governor Schwarzenegger and Governor Brown <laughs> on an eight-county um, strategic task force looking at economic development. And we actually made changes. We made markets go from 18% unemployment down to four over a multiple-year period of time. But it takes a collective of folks coming together and setting aside differences and focus on how do we make the communities better. And I saw this as the next opportunity. So I hope you can lead that in our particular area. I compliment you on that. That is, that is pretty awesome. That is really awesome. So in, in all your, your experiences, what was the most challenging and what was the most rewarding? <laughs> the most challenging was in California of changing a delivery system that had no strategy mm. into one that had strategy to make it profitable. It's taking a market that had a negative 4% margin and making it a 5% margin. That was the most challenging because we basically had to reset how care was being delivered in the entire market. And at the end of the day, we did add residency programs. We changed the economic vitality. We changed the community. And I would say a lot of lives were saved by that change. Wow. Um, The other challenging things is just simply – getting people to believe in themselves that they can do something that they didn't think about, <laughs> and which is the essence of leadership. And in that market, it was people believing that we could grow to a certain number. Because I said my goal was to grow to 400,000 members in a capitated market. And when I got there, we had about 240,000 members. So we exceeded that to 425,000 members, but we also grew from about $900 million in revenue to $3.2 billion in revenue. So it it takes the level of strategy and understanding. And also, adversity is going to happen. People are going to challenge your thought process. People are going to challenge what you're doing. But you got to have faith with a capital F. (laughs) And you got to believe with a capital B in where where you would be called to go. And everybody doesn't see that calling and understand your calling. So as a leader, if you hear that calling, you got to go. You got to execute. You got to do what you have to do. You got to be the cheerleader. You got to be the leader to keep them going. Well, hold that thought. We'll be right back with more information. But now, we're from our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Bear, Stunning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler, Ram, and Jeep dealer. The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Now back to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM at 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and Ebers, Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. I am honored to have as a special guest on my radio show today is Mr. Corwin Harper, who is the new Chief Executive Officer of Oster LSU Health System here in Shreveport. So thank you for joining us today thank here you. on the Best of Times Radio Hour. Wow, that's an inter- a great story. Hope you've written down your stories. I'm actually uh, working with a publisher. Good. I, I'll leave the publisher name, nameless, but it's a big publisher in the writing a book. Um, to talk about, but I have several book titles and outlines that I want to talk about. So I'm sure that today also. I'm impressed. I, I've been advocating this for many years. People need to write down their family stories, their their stories of their life before it's too late. And family members, grandchildren, great grandchildren, others will be definitely 
honored to have that. I mean, I'm, I luckily have written a lot, not published it, but I've written a lot about my family history and my my parents and grandparents, et cetera. But a lot of people aren't doing that. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say many Army veterans, my father was an Army veteran, by the way, uh, not doing that. Right. And it's so sad. I try to pull it out of them every time I go visit with them, and some of them do. Some yeah. of them do. I did have the good fortune of publishing an article um, about eight to ten months ago. And the article is tied to leadership, but it's from the concept of interdependence. I think there is a push for people to be independent. That's great. Mm -hmm. Um, But right now in our society, we need to be more interdependent, simply meaning realizing that you can't do without the other person. Because I know that with my team, I can't do anything without them. And when you have a healthcare team, and the place where you see that the most is in our procedural areas in the operating room, the surgeon with, who has great skill, and I think your son is a surgeon, can do all he can do, but he can't do anything without that scrub tech, can't do anything without that nurse, can't do anything without the anesthesiologist. Mm-hmm. And when that team comes together, they are interdependent, trusting each other as they orchestrate the skills to save a life or to take care of somebody on that table. You're absolutely so right. when I think about the citizens of North Louisiana, we want to make sure that we are being interdependent so when you come to us at your most vulnerable state, we're going to take the best care of you that we possibly can. That's a, that's a great goal. I, I commend you on that. Thank so you. in your evaluation of Ostner LSU Health, what, what do you find is their greatest strengths? The greatest strengths are the people okay. and their pride and their desire to work in that community, in that hospital, but in the health system. And let me unpack that a little bit. Um, I know that the hospital on Kings Highway has been through several iterations. <laughs> the name has changed, but the building is still the same. Now, over the last five years, because it's only been five years that the Oshner LSU Health System Partnership has been in existence, I see such an upside potential of two of the greatest brands in the state of Louisiana, LSU, and auction have come together to create an integrated delivery system that is connected to a medical school that is actually expanded from just King's Highway Hospital with Monroe Hospital on the, on the east side of, 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 of the state and then also St. Mary's, but also we brought in Louisiana Behavioral Health in a partnership with Oceans. All those things coming together are in response to the needs of the community And we're going to tell our story in a very unique and crisp way over the next several months because I believe a lot of folks don't even know what we've done in five years. And what made it exciting for me is I see what they did in five years, but I'm already working on a 15-year strategic plan. That's awesome. And so we actually have a big kickoff meeting on January the 12th. We were taking input from the community. We have done research to understand what people need. And we're trying to figure out where do we need to focus on our mission around how we serve, how we heal, how we lead, how we educate, and how we innovate. And the other one is how we discover, which is all tied to the research capability of the medical school coupled with a healthcare delivery system that has research in its DNA also, all coming together to solve some of the biggest and most difficult situations in healthcare. That's what I believe we can do. But the people that are there, the doctors that are there, I can name off several of them, but if I miss one, I'll be in trouble. (laughs) But the physicians, the faculty, the staff that I've met are top-notch. 
And the fact that we have a medical school within 200 miles of other medical schools, it's important for us to raise the bar. Because guess what? They're building a new medical school in the state of Arkansas with the Sam with the Walton family. Right. They're building a medical school near Tyler, Texas. They're building medical schools all around. We need to elevate this together for this community because we, we were here first, and we have an opportunity to make it better. That's well, what has me going. And we want them to come here. Absolutely. The, those physicians to be. We Absolutely. want them to come here to study as well. That's a, that's a great. So explain to our listeners, I still think I, I when I'm out in the community, you know, Gary and understands it because he's been in the healthcare field. But I still think a lot of people don't understand that you, you've been in a partnership. Oshner and LSU has been in a partnership, the Correct. school, for five years. But That's I right. still think people today don't understand what that means. Right. So let me just be upfront with you. We own communicating that story a little bit better. I've talked to my team about how we can have different communication sessions. I'm even thinking about how we engage the community just to get for them to understand what we are and who we are. But this five-year partnership um, is an amazing partnership. And I've looked all over the country. I actually made decisions about coming here versus other places. I came here because of this partnership. It's a unique opportunity where you have an established medical school, LSU Medical School, here right here in town, working directly with a hospital um, led by hospital leaders with many, many years of experience to focus on the I-20 corridor. The reason why I keep saying the I-20 corridor, it's not just King's Highway. It's the whole expanse because we need to bring health care to the smaller, more rural communities as well as the urban markets that we have. So in that partnership, there is my partner is the chancellor of the LSU Medical School, and we work on strategy and direction for the organization, um, primarily folks on how we're going to operate the hospital and set up a system to meet the needs of the future. Because the other thing is having an Oxford Health System attached with LSU, we learn and stay informed about all the changes in healthcare. Like, for instance, healthcare is moving more to the outpatient setting, less hospital-based care. So what does that mean? And people say, why are you doing that? Well, one, because CMS is saying care should be delivered in a different setting. We look at our outpatient surgery volume, big shift from where we were versus inpatient surgery. So we're learning about how do we balance the needs of the future while we think about how the regulators and, the, the frankly, the insurance companies and the payers are saying how they're going to reimburse us. That's also part of our strategy and what we're doing, but it's also going to be how we're going to explain it to the community about how we're working together to accomplish that. And, and the partnership, is the, pl- the major pluses is that it helps the medical students mm-hmm. – the, the, the soon-to-be, the residents there, and it makes the program more uh, viable, you might say, right? Absolutely, more, more viable, and it gives them some real-world practical imp- a- application and connection with a whole 2,000-plus physician medical group of Oxford Health they have access to to learn from. So there's a whole lot of opportunity for learning and growing with the medical students, but it's a whole lot of opportunity to also be on the cutting edge of what's happening in healthcare. So I look at it as a great program. I know other people across the country you know, have talked to me since I got in the job about what we're doing, and I'm actually going to a conference to begin to engage others about what we're doing so we can learn and share. Because I do think over the next several years, people are going to be looking at us and, wow, look what they're doing together. Well, that's, that's good that they're looking at us. I like that. I love to hear that as well. So you, what, you, I've heard you talked about innovation a little bit. So what kind of innovation is Oshner going to bring to the community? Well, probably one innovation we don't talk about much is a My Oxford app in which you could make appointments, you can talk to your doctor, 
And, you know, now that's almost a table state. Everybody has to have that to be competitive. Some of the other things are as we think about what equipment we need, we just had one of our surgeons do a, a brand-new procedure that's never been done before right here at our facilities as we bring in robots and more robotic surgery. So we're looking at all those cutting-edge surgeries by clinical specialty. And some of them I'm going to come back later on and talk to you about in, in the near future, but those two I'll start there, but also just how we are placing services in different buildings. Like right now, we're our birth rate, our deliveries went up significantly because we moved all those services to St. Mary's. That sounds, that doesn't sound a room strategy to reduce the infection rate, to raise the quality, so also the mom can have a better experience. All those are things that, that's been done prior to me arriving. We just have to do a better job of telling our complete story. And I've already tasked the team to begin thinking about doing it, and I'm excited about how we're going to tell the story, but also get feedback from the community about where we want to go and, and why, but also probably the next biggest area is more about telemedicine and telehealth. And all those learnings came about in the midst of the pandemic. Oh, yes. We could do video calls with your doctor and do that stuff. But I think that also needs to be some of the answers for rural health care because it's going to be very difficult to have a doctor in every square mile of community across the state, much less country. But how do we bring in the telehealth world? How do we leverage broadband? How do we leverage technology in a way to do that? Well, you brought up the fact about an app and you brought up back about uh, Zooming. I still think what I've been hearing from my friends uh, in the state, but also my friends at ARP Louisiana, is our state in rural areas, even the urban areas, don't have a lot of them, a lot of the people do not have access to the Internet, mm-hmm. broadband, et cetera. You know, they may get the app, but they don't have access to the app. They may have a smartphone or they may not have a smartphone to be able to. It's powerful. I mean, I use apps all the time. It's amazing. Everywhere you go now, you have to have an app. I mean, we just recently went to Disney World. You have to have an app or you don't get in the facility. So uh. I, I do think, well, I know that there have been some initiatives to bring broadband in the state of Louisiana, and I'm privy to some of those conversations. But I've shared with everybody, you can bring broadband, but if the person doesn't have an up-to-date device, we still leave them in a lurch. So I think we have to think collectively that what's the responsibility of the health system or what's the responsibility of the provider of the Internet service or what's the responsibility of the other entity so the individual can have a app or a device because that, that device or app translates to access. And the issue is how do we give people access to world-renowned health care? And we have to continue to solve that. Um, just to give you one story about what we've brought, I remember I was touring in Monroe because Monroe is also part of my responsibility there. And the staff were in tears about a story about the fact that we brought 3D imaging from mammography to Monroe. Didn't have it, but Oxford LSU Health System brought that there, which allowed women to have access to 3D imaging. And immediately it gives more access and a chance to identify opportunities with breast cancer that they didn't have before, saving lives. So we were standing there in tears talking about it because they talked about the lives that have been saved because they have that. Then after that, Dr. Guzik and I and others, we started talking about a van, that mobile van that we have. We want to get it out there. We got there two mobile vans. So we're going to look at every way we can to have innovation that, that creates the level of access for people to have preventive measures 
for healthcare. Well, that's the important thing: preventing and diagnosing early Absolutely. can save a lot of lives. Absolutely, and, and that's that, part of our that's part of our vision vision statement to save lives. Just like I rattle off our mission, but it's also our 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 values are so important to us because our values are around compassion, which leads to patients first. Our values are around integrity, which leads to a high level performing organization filled with excellence. And we also believe in teamwork, which requires a lot of inclusivity because we want more people at the table providing insight and feedback. And we're going to talk about that on this coming Friday at our strategic planning session because I want to hear everybody's voice. No one person has the best answer to solve the problems Mm -hmm. of healthcare. It takes a lot of voices, sometimes some in key, sometimes not in key, (laughs) but all voices to create the chorus that's going to you know, solve the problems in healthcare. Well, that thought, we'll be right back with more information, but now we're from our sponsors and advertisers who do make this radio show possible. You're listening to the Best of Times Radio Hour here on News Radio 710 Keel, proudly presented by AARP Louisiana and A Bears Town and Country of Shreveport, your Dodge, Chrysler Ram, and Jeep dealer. The Best of Times Radio Hour will be right back on 1017 FM and 710 Keel. Now back to the Best of Times Radio Hour on 1017 FM at 710 Keel. Welcome back to our show, the Best of Times Radio Hour, probably presented by AERP Louisiana and A-Bears, Dunning Country of Shreveport, your Dodge Chrysler Ram and Jeep dealer. I'm honored to have as a special guest on my radio show today is Mr. Corwin Harper, who is the need new Chief Executive Officer of Ostner LSU Health here in Shreveport. So thank you again for joining our show. Learned a lot already. Lots of great information if you per, that you've given me and all of my radio listeners out there. So, Mr. Harper, the, the thing that I want, what do you see the future look like at Oshner LSU Health System? Uh, I've been contemplating that a lot since I, before I got the job. Um, I actually sat down with the chancellor before I accepted the job for two hours for coffee downtown Shreveport, and we talked about the future. So a little bit about me is I'm a backwards planner. So I'm thinking <laughs> 15 years from now and working backwards. So that's why we'll be working on a 15-year strategic plan. Somebody said, oh, my God, you can't look that far ahead. And I said, well, I've done this three times before, and it works. So I'm <laughs> going to do that process again. And what I see in the future is the following. And I'm going to give you a date to put on your calendar. Wow. And it's the year 2030. That is the year that the... Last baby boomers will age into 65. So that is seven years from now. So from a planning perspective, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of delivery system do we set up that will take care of the baby boomers who will be age range 65 to 84 and who will have the highest disposable income but yet won't be enough people to take care of us? So we got to think about a different healthcare delivery model. And that's going to take a lot of thinking, a lot of conversation, a lot of transformation, and willingness to try and be different. But at the core of that is access. Earlier we talked about the importance of technology. Technology will be one of the doors of access that we'll have to enhance. And we'll have to leverage artificial intelligence. We'll have to leverage devices. We'll have to leverage new technology that will be at the person's fingertip. From watches like the Apple Watch I'm wearing to... Um, pulse oximetry devices or devices to take vital signs. 
But to do a little tangent, I think about the pandemic and the one device that became the most popular one besides a thermometer was a pulse oximeter. And my wife and I purchased several of them for friends and family and coworkers. And I know three or four people lives were saved just because they had a pulse oximeter. So I would say, what other devices do we need to create that give feedback directly to the provider so the provider can do the following things? Assess, diagnose, and lay out a treatment plan that the patient can align with. So that the future has to be built around that physician-patient interaction where they can get a great access, an effective assessment, a diagnosis, and a treatment plan. I also see between having the research capability of the medical school plus the research capability of Oxford Health and all the physicians that we have that we can think about what other advances can we make in healthcare? Because in 15 years from now, there's going to be more medication advances. There's going to be more tools to assess and to reach farther and faster. But also is what tools do we wrap around the physicians? Because I know we're going to be bringing some technology here to to use artificial intelligence to help our primary care doctors so as there will be fewer and fewer primary care doctors because there's not enough people going into medicine, which we got to fix. That needs to be a community coalition building. How do we get more 12th graders interested in becoming doctors? How do we get more 6th graders interested in becoming doctors? How do we get more 2nd graders interested <laughs> in becoming doctors? And I do that in those increments because it takes almost 12 years to become a doctor. So we got to start now and get folks interested in the sciences so they'll be there to take care of us when we get that age range. And we have a lot of programs that we're working on. Oxford is, now we're bringing up here to OHS to help reach the communities, help reach the schools, to make education a priority to be prepared for that. In addition to the access pieces, I will be considering and contemplating how we will do access differently. We may test and we may innovate and do things differently. So I just want the community to be open to that. But we all know people want access to their doctor. But one of the biggest things also is we just need more doctors in the country, not just here. And so, and the competition for physicians these days is coming at us from everywhere, including Walmart, <laughs> Amazon, and every other non-healthcare organization trying to vie for how do we create the right model. But in that, we got to also figure out who do we work with, who do we partner with. So over the long haul, I see more healthcare ecosystems being created across the state. And I did say ecosystems, where one organization may not do everything, but they'll be partnering with people to do things in the community. And the area that we don't talk about, and I want to pause for a second, is the area called social determinants of health. And I have a passion around the social determinants of health because of my parents being 88 and 87 years old. Because it really lists out one of the biggest factors is, do you have somebody to help take care of you? And there are so many seniors that don't have people to help take care of them. So we have to figure out an isolation issue. we got to figure out a social determinant of health issue. And in the literature and in the research, it says that 75 to 80% of healthcare issues are socioeconomic. And the converse of that is 20 to 25 are medical and genetics. So if we can figure out a way to focus on these social economic issues, which are not what people think, there's actually a checklist of all the social determinants of health based around ICD-10Z codes, which are codes that we document in our medical record. And one of the biggest ones that strikes me is, who do you have to help take care of you? 
<laughs> who is there to help you take care of your psychosocial issues? And in that, I've learned, as I spent a lot of time with my parents and other seniors at an assisted living facility, these are smart folks who contributed to our country. These were folks who were part of the, the, the great generation in the 1930s and, and before that. And there's something called loss of executive function because they just don't want to deal with complex issues anymore. And if you're alone, who's going to help you do that? So as I look at the listing of issues that need to be taken care of for health care, I first start with the seniors, my beloved seniors, because they made sacrifices for us to have this great country of America today. And how do we help them? And then figure out solutions for them, and then continue to go down that ladder to see who else we need to help. Just like what Ashra has done at El- with, with, the, with our Ashra LSU health system, we brought in Oceans, creating Louisiana Behavioral Health. We went from a small 37-bed site unit to now 89 beds here in this area, and I will tell you it's changing lives and saving lives. Plus, we have over 20-plus beds in Monroe. And no one talks about the mental health issue, which is either genetic or they were born that way, or it's tied to life events and issues that have occurred. And we got to connect the brain back to the body as part of our equation to solving the healthcare dilemma. Wow. So going emphasizing baby boomers and seniors, what is the primary prime objective that you plan to do in this 15-year period? <laughs> One issue is going to be how do we help our seniors have more mobility? Good. Because if you don't have mobility, it affects your overall health. I would even say, how do we teach people to exercise at age 70 and 75? Or really, the word exercise is so overwhelming. How do we keep people moving and moving. active? Right. Because the body is intended to move. And because my wife is a nurse and she's always teaching me, even people lose the, sens- the sensitivity about thirst because your body changes. You get older, you aren't thirsty anymore. You don't drink water. You don't drink water, you get an infection. And you get dehydrated. And you get dehydrated. So there's a whole <laughs> cascade of things about how we have to take a step back to see how do we help seniors reduce the opportunity for infection, which a lot of it is tied to mobility and, and dehydration and drinking fluids. I actually did a project in California. I came up with an infection prevention kit that we pushed out to people, and we saw the reduction of infections. I also want to think about oral hygiene and oral care. Did a project in, in California around that also because it showed that if you don't have good oral hygiene, your likelihood of infection goes up. And the reality of it is people don't think about changing their toothbrush enough. That's true. That is true. Well, thank you, Mr. Harper, for joining us today. I've learned a lot. I know my radio listeners. I'm very proud. We welcome you to Shreveport. You're a wonderful person to have as leader of the Oshner LSU Health System. I commend you and congratulate you and wish you best wishes for success. I hope that you begin your 15-year plan soon, and I'm sure you will. Absolutely. And you are you seem to me, based on what you've told us today, a fantastic leader. We're lucky to have you here in this report in Bossier City area. So congratulations again. Thank you, and God bless. Don't forget to pick up your personal copy of The Best of Times at one of our 270 distribution locations. May God bless you and your family. God bless America. Have a great day and a great weekend. Thank you again for listening to our show. I'm Gary Kaligas, wishing you and yours the best of times, both today and every day. Have a great day.